0: Logistics, okay? Freaking logistics, man. Ready to talk logistics? What? How? It can't be done. We should probably figure out some logistics.
1: Our mission as a company is to create things people like more, which sounds like so basic and simple. But if you actually think about, I think, like the brands that do best, it's like they've done that.
0: That's Jeff Rader, co-founder and co-CEO of Harry's. Harry's is a billion dollar manufacturer and retailer of shaving equipment and men's personal care products in stores and online. Prior to co-founding Harry's, Jeff co-founded the massively disruptive eyewear company, Warby Parker, once dubbed by GQ as the Netflix of eye and now a publicly traded multi-billion dollar lifestyle brand. Through Harry's, Jeff also helps run Flamingo, a women's skincare and razor company, Cat People, a cat food and goods company, and Lumi, a natural deodorant company. On today's episode, Jeff discusses inventory challenges his brands face, his mission to create products with the best customer experience possible, and the lessons he's learned in the D2C space over the past decade. Jeff has a fascinating story and is an absolute legend in the D2C space. I had a great time chatting with Jeff and hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. But first, a brief word from our sponsor. This podcast is powered by the team at Stored. Turn your supply chain into a competitive advantage. Go to Stored.com to learn more. I'm your host, Alex Kent, Director of Sales at Stored, and this is Supply Chain Therapy here today with Mr. Jeff Rader, co-founder and co-CEO of Harry's. Jeff, thanks for joining us. How are you today? What's up, Alex? Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Of course. Excited to have you on and and talk about the supply chain. So would love to just dive right in and and get the conversation going. So talk a little bit about your your current role and and what you're in charge of as co-CEO of Harry's right now
1: so i helped run harry's with my co-founder andy you know i think we both oversee a lot of the business total kind of make strategic decisions together think a lot about how to support our team um, how to set our business up for success for context you know harry started just selling You know razors and razor blades uh, direct to consumers online almost 10 years ago 2013 and since then we've expanded a lot so we've expanded the harry's brand well beyond razors and blades to lots of things that help guys get ready every day help them kind of look their best and feel their best so we sell Uh, sometimes i don't like to shave so that i can you know show people that i i'm also a harry's customer regardless of that i have our hair products on under eye cream face wash face lotion body wash I used her shampoo and conditioner, et cetera, et cetera. So we've expanded the Harry's brand a lot. We've also expanded to to new countries. And so we're in you know, the U.S. and Canada and the U.K., Germany, France, Benelux, et cetera. So it's been exciting to see the Harry's brand expand. We then launched another brand called Flamingo, which is focused on women's body care, starting with hair removal, but um, but much more sort of focused on body care. Trying to normalize the fact that lots of things happen to people's bodies that are normal, and you know we could say that that's like like having hair, that's just a normal thing, I and mean, we can help you with those things kind of how and when 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 you want. And then we started a business in a cat space called Cat Person, and so you know we thought, hey, where we've kind of built up some capability is learning how to build brands that hopefully meet. Needs that don't exist in the world, and starting online, and can know our customers, and felt like there was an opportunity to make awesome, high-protein cat food, and make cat owners, cat parents, feel great about that. Like it's amazing to own cats, and celebrate that interspecies bond between cats and parents. And then we recently bought a business called Lumi, um, which is an amazing business. It's sort of effective, natural, all-over-body uh, deodorant. Um, started by an amazing OBGYN named Shannon, who came up with like revolutionary products that essentially make it so that odor doesn't form on your body anywhere so armpits privates feet beyond so cool and so that business is doing awesome so we have this portfolio of brands now i spend the most of my time still on harry's and flamingo and kind of our business in the u.s because it helped to kind of build and start those brands and i've got a lot of love for them i think there's a tremendous amount of opportunity and Andy probably spends more of his time on kind of the new brands that we built and I'm thinking about how to grow them. And then again, we kind of come together on most big strategic decisions. So that's how we sort of think about it.
0: When you are looking at a brand and whether it's you know starting a new one, acquiring a new company, what are you looking for? What is the kind of the, the general centralization of the customer problem that you were like, yes, this is solving for that?
1: Yeah. So our mission as a company is to create things people like more, which sounds like so basic and simple. But if you actually think about, I think like the brands that do best, it's like they've done that. And so, you know, when we started at Harry's, Andy walked into a drugstore one day and he was sick and tired of, you know, kind of overpaying for razor blades and waiting for someone to unlock the case. And then he paid 25 bucks for four razor blades, and some shaving cream. And he was looking at his package and there was like a picture of a blade flying over the moon. And he was like, I just like, I don't get like, I don't, I'm not happy with this experience. And so he called me and, you know, prior to Harry's, I helped to start a company called Warby Parker, you know, that um, is a brand and I wear. And we've tried to do it, do it really, a lot better for customers there. And he said, Hey, can you take what you learned at Warby Parker and do better here? And what got me excited about that was like I think we can like I think we can create a better experience for ourselves and guys everywhere here and so we can create really great products and deliver them an amazing value and you know serve customers online or in stores over time however they want and you know leverage great design so that you're making you're using tools you're proud to use every day like and a brand that's you know approachable and you know sort of for guys like you like I think that there's like a was a huge opportunity like and I think the fundamental idea was like this is a thing that people like more you know yes i want a razor that's really really high quality for half the price like that's better i want something that is a design object i love using in the morning as opposed to something that i'm a little, a little less proud of that's better and so as we think about the brands that we're focused on and excited about it's like we want like a very obvious reason how this is better for someone in the world so like when we learned about Lumi, we're like wait a minute in the history of the world you've had kind of largely effective deodorants that have worked well but aren't natural and not aluminum free and then you've got some aluminum free products but there's lots of questions around whether or not they work this product is both like it's amazing it offers you 72 hour protection it really works and it's aluminum free because it's like there's amazing OBGYN came up with like a revolutionary formula for how to do that like so we got super excited about that idea because like well that's something that you know i'm sick and tired of smelling like teen spirit you know like it's like i uh, i like i don't like how i smell i like i feel like harry's is could make me like something that smelled better like more sophisticated and aligned with kind of like the image i want to put on the one like okay that's actually a good challenge great we can make you know we can take scents that sit in like luxury fragrance and bring them into body wash and have them be really inspired by nature in exciting ways and bring them into body wash and, and antiperspirant deodorant and you know Help you to smell more sophisticated. Like, like we can do that, and hopefully that then like you know says something about who you are and how you show up and you feel better. And so I just remember like taking that away, like uh, okay, I got it. Like we actually can create something people like more because we actually know the thing that we need to focus on. Yeah, totally, totally.
0: Uh, switching gears a little bit. When you you know first time founder, you know what did you not realize about the supply chain and and the complexities of it? I'm sure there's a long list and plenty of stories there, but. What did you not realize? What what didn't you think about ahead of time?
1: I mean, where do we start? Look, I think, so maybe a couple of things. One, I guess first, like probably like the benefit of forecasting is super important, like really understanding what you want and knowing that you're almost never going to get it right to start. And so recognizing and being really clear, I think on the demand side, like, whoa, there's going to be a lot of volatility in demand here because we just don't know. Where it's a new thing. It could be. And I think like doing your best to figure it out, but then also being like, I just don't know, I think is important. And also it's really hard to figure out like what's going to do the best. So like when we started Warby Parker, I think we had 87 different styles and we had, we were business school students. Like we literally didn't have, like we were self-funding it. And so like, what's the minimum we can buy of each of of these styles? People like, they were like a hundred. So we bought, I think literally like 8,700 pairs of frames. I might be a little off on the number, but like, I think that's like the rough sense. And then we we tried them all, our business school friends, and we're like, okay, like which ones do you like the most? We're trying to like get data, and because we're you know school time. And then we launched, and we realized is like, well, the U.S. population and business school are different, and like the ones that were most popular in different places were different, which is it's made sense. And so we were seeing more demand in some places, less demand in others. It's like, oh crap, we now have to. So we're selling out very quickly in some places, In other places we had a little eximatory. And so we were just starting to learn and think and like growth. So I think that's like number one, got to understand that and be as thoughtful as you can, but also know, hey, like, you're going to be in these high beta situations. And so almost playing out like if this does a lot better than what I thought, what do we do? If it's not as good as what we thought, what do we do? Should we take big positions here or small? And what are the implications of doing that? So that to me is like, probably like the, the first thing I guess I'd learned and thought about. I'm always just blown away by how hard it is to make product like it's the hardest thing we do I mean, we own a factory for harry's in germany where we make our own razor blades we care so much about quality we have 500 people who work there lots of engineers and technicians and super thoughtful people and like really controlled process and hundreds of millions of, dollars of equipment and it is really hard and so i think understanding that is really important one of the things i think in general in like a manufacturing environment that we found helpful it's to be very focused on like a certain set of metrics, but not every metric. So I think it's been important to say, hey, we want to improve this aspect of our product or our process, and focus there, and like get that done, and then try, and then okay, the next thing we want to go do is this. Now you can make other improvements while you do that that one thing. But as we're and also like another thing that we've had to do is scale. Like we've had to grow, and so you know for for a period design, we're like just grow and like grow with consistent product. And then we'll figure out how to make improvements. And so I think that's been another learning for me because, you know, I step in, I'm like, well, there's opportunity there and there and there and there and there and let's do all these things. And people are like, well, we can't like one thing at a time. What's our longer term roadmaps? I think that's been helpful. And gosh, and then in the last couple of years, like, I think it's pressure tested everybody in a really, you know, and, and I think we've seen everything from raw material price increases to, you know, distribution, logistics, cost increases, freight, transport, like longer shipping times. And so, you know, I think when I think there then when it comes back to like creating things, people like more, one of the things that we've thought a lot about is like, well, what are we optimizing for? Because it's really hard, I think, to optimize for having products there all the time and managing cost. And and, and, and so like, how do we think about that? And I think what we've tried to do the best that we can is put the customer first and be like, hey, like at the end of the day, like if we just can get product to people and be also like clear in communicating that to them, like, you know, the the updated expectation to them. That feels like what I would want as a customer, you know, you to be open with me and say, hey, like, we have some issues, here's what's going on, you know, it could be a few days longer to get there or a week longer or whatever. But we're doing all these things to do that and we're going to prioritize as a company trying to do everything we can to get those products to those customers to try to give them as good as good an experience as possible.
0: Yeah, the customer experience and, you know, everything else underlying that, you, we can work on and, and we can work to improve, right? And And figure out and test different options, right?
1: For sure. And I think the good news is like what, I mean, there's, it's been a tumultuous time, obviously for lots of companies making any products, but what's been interesting for me to think about is like, okay, if there was ever a time where all of our opportunities for improvement were laid bare, it's right now, like every day I'm like, oop, there's an opportunity here. Oop, like you just see it. Like, it's like very obvious, you know, like, and who would have thought that, and you really see it when seven things cascade and get stretched and you're like, wait a minute, you're right. Like if we were a little more redundant on this step, maybe these other things wouldn't have And so, um, and it's all obviously very highly interconnected in supply chain. And so I think the approach I've been pushing our team on and trying to take is, hey, like one, let's figure out where there's an issue first. Let's figure out and fix it. Then let's like figure out what the root cause is. And then before we move on to the next issue we have to fix, or always are, let's figure out the process or the set of systems or redundancies that we want to put in place so that this thing doesn't happen anymore. And like, you know, over time, if we continue to do that, we're going to build a much more resilient supply chain. And I think we've started to make really great progress there. So I'm going to feel like I feel much better coming out of this than I did, well, in retrospect than I should have felt walking in. That's
0: right. That's right. When you walked into March of 2020, it's like, whoa, what, what am I walking into? And now it's like, all right, we we can do this. We can handle the hard things, right?
1: For sure. I think what was interesting, I, th- I don't think people give enough credit to is like, in addition to there being a lot of supply constraints, there was a massive demand shock across the world. Like, I saw some stat, I don't know if you've seen this, but I looked at the number of containers coming into the port of L.A. or Long Beach, L.A., Long Beach, whatever, you know, the biggest port in the U.S. And I think, like, historically, over, like, the last number of years, it was, like, 12 million containers a year. Last year, 15 million containers came in. And the only problem, there's demand for 20 million. So, like, there's just such a massive demand shock for, like, stuff that I think, you know. And then, of course, you know, we're, we're realizing it right now, especially
0: from a storage standpoint, is like, hey, capacity's tight, right? And luckily, we have the uh, network and, and cloud supply chain to help out with that. But, you know, then the warehouse capacity is tight, then the labor capacity is tight. And you're like, hey, we got to get ahead of this customer experience again. You know, here's what's going on. We're experiencing delays. I'm curious as to how you scale up a logistics team, whether it's outsourcing operations, scaling up internally, like, hey, you are now focused on inbound freight or you are focused on the fulfillment experience. How do you how do you think about that? How have you scaled all across the your portfolio of brands?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So, I think very similar to how you thought about it. We have someone who oversees logistics, a Harris who's awesome. So, you know, that's kind of like a, a we have a like a director of logistics. Um, and he's thinking a lot about, you know, I think prime today a lot of time on inbound freight, but then we're also thinking a lot about how we move products within our ecosystem in the U.S. So we have multiple different distribution facilities. We have some that serve retail, some that serve direct-to-consumer customers, some that serve both, like some that do kidding. And so getting the right product to the right place at the right time is, hel- is helpful. And some of these things, again, are a bit hard to forecast, especially when you've got partners like retailers who may order in different quantities you know, you might have the right demand forecast, but they they may order heavy or light for whatever reason, and so because they're managing their own dynamics. And so, the best we could do to communicate on the upstream, so then we can sort of reposition products is 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 important. But we're spending a lot of time thinking about that right now, and we have a team that focuses on that. You know, sort of ahead of that, and then of logistics, and then you know, group a group of folks that work for him that you know spend time thinking about all those dynamics. And it's never been more important than today, I'd say.
0: Of course, absolutely you're kind of leading me right into the next segment. So uh, segment number two, Houston, we have a problem. Houston, we have a problem. You know, we're talking about what we did to scale up. What did Harry's do? How, how do you manage that? You know, obviously, we, we've talked a little bit about the last two years and the pandemic and changing in, in consumer behavior. You know, what are three individual challenges that you're company faced and how do you address those and we don't have to get too into the detail but you know obviously there is there is a lot right i
1: think maybe one still feels pertinent is like just raw material shortages like not being able to get all the products that are the raw materials that you know we need for our soft products and we make really nice soft products i think with pretty exotic ingredients which was awesome for us you know but then you sort of have global supply disruptions, and all of a sudden, some of those ingredients are just harder to come by or impossible to come by. Our suppliers, oftentimes, were the ones sourcing those products, and sometimes they couldn't get them. And so we all of a sudden had to play a much more active role, a lot further back into the supply chain, to try to figure out how we could get our hand on those ingredients, or if there were substitute ingredients that would deliver the same consumer benefit. We were again very focused on the customer, so we had, and we have an amazing R and D team, in-house chemists, who, our own labs, and so we spent a lot of time thinking about this. So they would be like, okay, into the lab, like, can you make a product that delivers every single bit of benefit? Maybe with even an ingredient that's more expensive, but you know, we don't have to use this ingredient so that we can stay in stock, like, so we spent time thinking about that. So that's probably one dynamic that we spent time on. I think another was around shipping times, like lead times just got extended a lot. So it's probably short, medium and long-term solutions there. I think in the short term we air freighted a bunch of product which is really expensive for us. And then the air freight market like you know, because a lot of other people started to do that, there's a higher demand for air freight which meant that it cost us even more. So it was like more expensive historically and then it cost us even more in the and there's less planes flying right? So it's there's less capacity. Crazy, but... Yeah. So we spent a lot of money on air freight. I can't, I don't even want to <laughs> a lot. So, but again, it was like, you know, we have to figure out how to keep staying stock for our customers. Like we could have said, we'll just be out of stock. Boats will come when they come. it will be fine. Like that was not a approach I want to take. So that was sort of step one. Step two is then to sort of think about our overall inventory strategy. How much inventory do we need at different places in our supply chain? And where can we heavy up so that We are more insulated against those shocks. And then I think three is over the long term, like, how do we think about just where we make products today? You know, we have now, as I mentioned, kind of a business that's selling in multiple geographies. And should we regionalize production in some way so that we have the capability to make products closer to where we're selling them? And that doesn't mean that it has to be a be-all and end-all solution. Like, we don't have to make all of our products. Can we have flex capacity in our networks? And if we're going to build redundancy, which I think is generally a good idea, like being reliant on one supplier also can be tricky. You know, we're relying on ourselves for razor blades. So we own that, but we also, you know, we own the factory and we're relying on ourselves. So I feel okay about that. But even then, you know, one of the things that we're, that we just did, which I'm super excited about on razor blades is we built a second site where we're doing assembly. So literally assembling our blades themselves, like the metal blades into cartridges. And that means like, you know, the cartridge that houses the five blades and, they put the, where the loop uh, that on which loop up so we we're doing that in the us which is exciting we we just launched that in sort of upstate new york and then you know over time we can think about okay how do we regionalize blade production i think we'll probably keep our razor blades in germany for for the foreseeable future but more and more and more of that process and you know as we're thinking about okay we you know maybe we only have x number of suppliers for y product like well if that supplier is not close to where we're selling the product should we find a second supplier that is closer that just gives us more flex capacity in our network? So, stuff like that I think is like probably a longer term solution that we've been we've been thinking a lot about.
0: Yeah i i love the ter- I love how you use the term redundancy. I'm used to hearing diversify, and diversify kind of has that negative t- connotation. But it's really redundancy, and redundancy can have a negative connotation too. But like you're preparing for whatever's next, whatever is going to happen that we can't expect, right?
1: Yeah, I think that's a, that's just generally right, and like you know, that's good. I think having multiple sources of supply in general is like a good thing. I, I I think in having those sources close to customers, as long as you can manage costs, like it's good. I think the third thing that we've spent invested a lot of time in is systems. Yeah. And I mean, like storage, is a great example, right? Like you guys are doing an amazing job helping companies build a more agile supply chain by, you know, being able to place products in different distribution facilities. Like that's, it's wonderful. And I think it's going to, that's why I got so excited when I met you, like, you know, it's just such an awesome idea like everyone should want to do that yeah but beyond that for us like you know having really good sort of systems where we can track and track our products all over the world understand where they sit and start to then leverage some of the capabilities we have around analytics to start to predict what might happen in the future and then what that means for like flows of goods and services i want to be clear we're in like the Early innings of that journey, but <laughs> when we talk to people who I see as best in class, and I think you know you are playing a huge role in people's supply chains in that way. Like they have really thoughtful, robust systems, and they're leveraging like the best thinking in the world to help them figure out where the products should sit and how they should how they should work. Which in turn, I think, just enables a lot more efficiency, and again, ultimately better experiences for customers. That's right. And
0: it comes back to that problem of forecasting that we were talking about earlier. It's like all of that combines back into how do we get this product where the customer wants it, when they want it, and how do we make sure that we have enough, right?
1: Yeah, at the lowest cost to us so that we can deliver the best value to them. Exactly.
0: Moving on to our next segment, the venting couch.
1: Little so talk,
0: vent. Me vent, come on, vent, go ahead, vent. I just needed to vent. Where'd you vent? Vent your frustrations. We all have had traumatic experiences when it comes to logistics, but it doesn't have to be that way. If you're ready to heal your relationship with your supply chain, check out store.com to learn more.
1: Any stories you want to vent about? There have been times where we've had products that are like exploding and we like can't make it because we don't have one ingredient. So for example, at the beginning of the pandemic, our body wash, Harry's, which I'm really proud of. I think it smells great and works great. And like you've tried it if you haven't used it we couldn't like it was up a lot and it was great and so we like went to our suppliers we said fire up the jets let's make a lot of body wash." like this products doing awesome we want to you know people need to stay clean and hygiene and pandemic and then what we realized was that we were making all this product and we couldn't get enough packaging for it and it wasn't actually the tubes that our body wash coming came in but it was the caps and the reason was that we were competing with laundry detergent and hand sanitizer and everything else for like ca- and so all of a sudden, like oh my gosh we're literally sitting on like huge amounts of body wash that we've like fired the desert for, And like, but we have a caps problem over here. And so, you know, then we had to find people who could a come up with other ideas for what the right cap might be. And then B find people who could make those caps quickly. And so, yeah, I was like talking, I mean, I've talking to cap suppliers. I'm like, I, you know, like, I'm like, put me in, put me in guys. Like, what can I do? Like who, you know, can I talk to the cap? Like I'll talk to these people and see what we can do to like, you know, get a few more caps. Like, so.
0: That's right. You're going to the procurement team. And you're like, what else we got? Right. Like, let's get on the phone. Who are we calling? Who to talk to?
1: Who are who? Oh, yeah. You got to convince like this guy to give us some caps. The new supplier doesn't know what Harry's is from like when anything. I'm like, great. Let me tell a story for like 10 minutes and see if I can like, you know, convince him that we're legit enough to make some caps. So, yeah, that's good stuff. Good stuff.
0: All right. On to the next segment really quick. Back to the Future. Jeff, you know, obviously you've got this portfolio, brands you've acquired, brands you've created, along with your team. If you were to launch another D2C brand, say uh, I haven't come up with the idea yet, but I pitch you on it and you're like, yeah, let's go for it. What would you do differently in the supply chain up front?
1: You know, I think probably the thing I would think about, and I think stored plays into this, is there's so much disruption happening today in supply chain in a good way. So there's so many interesting new companies out there that are like dynamically helping businesses to scale. I'd spend more time understanding that landscape. I think it's easier. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's easier for a company like Harry's that has some capabilities and a network to like switch things around. But my sense is, I think it's a lot easier to to think about that to start. It's like okay, let's not think about where the business where the world is today, but let's think about the world is going. What I know to be true, and I think this is going to be an amazing thing for direct to consumer companies in the in general, is. There are solutions getting built and business getting built right now that are going to make it better, cheaper, more efficient. Like probably require less overhead over time to manage complex supply chains, like for direct-to-consumer companies. That is hundred percent clear. And I think Storx sits like at the very center of that ecosystem. But there's a bunch of other interesting businesses out there. And so before I was going to start making those decisions. I'd spend some time trying to really understand the ecosystem, not only where it is today, but where it's going to go and see if I could make decisions that to do that. Like, you know, an example of you know, when we started Harry's nine years ago, we ended up building a lot of our own software in part because we had, we're doing complicated things that were unique to us, but also because, like, there weren't great platforms out there at the time. We started on Magento briefly and then ended up not ended up building our own thing. But, you know, you look today, like, the tech platforms out there are, way 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 better than they were when we started, and like way more sophisticated I mean shopify is like built built an incredible company it's an incredible platform, and so I guess I probably would have taken a minute to understand that at the very beginning. We very well may have ended up making the same decisions at the time i th- and I'm proud of the stack we've gotten, the team we've got, and how we've continued to evolve it It's been great, and I think that making the most informed decisions possible at the at the outset is helpful, and I think this is a step you kind of skip because like, oh, whatever it's you know. We're early, it's low risk, just get off the ground, we'll figure it out. But maybe I would presume a little more success so that I could say, hey, if these things, if this actually does go right, how might I step into this over time in a way that's going to be really efficient for me and leverage that as an area of advantage relative to lots of other companies that are going to have to encounter that later, think about it, have incurred a bunch of debt, and then have to sort of pay off the debt before they do that, which is going to not enable them to do some of the other things they probably want to do.
0: Yeah, I, I find it fascinating because you know, like in my role, I talk to a lot of up-and-coming brands or emerging brands, and there's, you know, some of them are switching from that first provider, that first fulfillment logistics provider that they selected because of cost, right? And and they didn't realize they they took off and they grew. They didn't realize that oh, they're paying a cheaper price to pick, pack, and ship something, but well, their customer is not having a great experience. So there's a lot of that, you know, nuance in. You know, how do you select a provider that one you can scale with, but also give your customer that that your end consumer that really hands on and and you know, hey, we love this, we love you, Mr. C- customer, Mrs. Customer, for buying our product and being a supporter of our brand, that sort of feeling and and those consumer expectations like we we're talking about earlier.
1: Yeah. 100%. Jeff,
0: what are you doing to prepare your fulfillment needs to address potential future challenges in in the fulfillment and logistics space?
1: I think probably first and foremost is continuing to be really thoughtful about systems and, and understanding what products we have where. just feels like that's the most critical thing for us to do. I think second, and so like, for example, for Harry's, we put in an ERP system like 18, I don't know, a year to 18 months ago. And it's been good. Like we're we're, it's much more sophisticated. And I think there's more we can unlock even within that system to really understand flow of goods and costs and stuff across our business. So I think that that's like probably number one. I think, you know, I think number two, it's to get really clear on the metrics that we're trying to sort of better understand. Like, what are we go, what are we looking for? And what are the constraints? And so we spent a bunch of time on that. Like, okay, what are the metrics we want to go deliver? And then I think three, starting to think more strategically about kind of our long-term roadmap and what are the tools or systems or processes or ways of working that will continue to enable us to hit those metrics. And so I don't know, that's not maybe a revolutionary answer, but I think that's kind of like where we've been.
0: Well, it's also, you know, especially on the metric side, it's like sticking to, I mean, how many metrics do you, are like the top? Like, hey, we're driving towards one, two, three, ABC, you know, and you can't, you can't have 15 different KPIs that you're driving towards, right?
1: I like OTIF as a metric, you know, like against some SL like OTIF within a rate, it's like, okay, we want to deliver product to customer in X days. And how, what percent of the time do we do that? Like, that to me is like a good measurement of like, did we achieve that goal? Yeah,
0: absolutely. And you you start somewhere and then you're like, we got to just make stepping stones, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. How do we get to 99%, 99 99.5%, like, you know, and like at some point, if you're at 99.99%, fine, then you've hit that. Then, what's the next metric you want to focus on? And how do you make sure that you do that without impacting the primary metric? Just like, okay, keep that here. Now go focus on this. So that's awesome.
0: All right. Wrapping up uh, here with Jeff Raider for our our last segment of the day the speed round. Just some quick hitters for you. You already answered one of them. What type of razor do I use? Obviously, Harry's. So, Jeff, first off, what's something you're excited about
1: right now? I'm excited for spring. I don't know. I just think like there's good energy <laughs> in the air. The weather's nice. People are out and about. I just feel like you know it's been a long couple of years, and I hope people get a lot of joy from good weather being outside and connecting in person. I'm also excited to be in our office. We're now back a couple days a week. That feels great, being around people. So, I guess I'm excited for people getting together. In a safe way, of course.
0: Of course, in a safe way, obviously. We all learned. Uh, The last thing you bought online.
1: I bought some socks from Bombas, my pals. uh, My my friends run Bombas. Products are great, love them. I think I bought a 12 pack, different colors, pretty excited for them to come, so. (laughs) Good stuff.
0: Um, If you weren't a serial entrepreneur, where would you want to work?
1: And I was talking about this actually with a friend last night. I think it'd be kind of fun to teach for a little while. I'm actually not sure what I could teach, Besides the stuff that we're talking about right now, even then, I'm not sure if I'm really qualified, but it would be fun to spend time with people like learning and teaching, maybe learn from them. I don't know. I love being a student, so I think teaching could be fun, some shape or form.
0: Oh, man. All right. Well, we'll have to do a a circle
1: back, rerun and figure out what we're going to teach. All right. Yeah, that sounds good. I'm in. If you want to teach a class a week and we'll figure it out. (laughs) <laughs> we'll figure it out.
0: Yeah, something. I know way too much
1: about Georgia football, so I don't know how that. How to on F your supply chain seems like a good thing to be. This is a good. That's a good. We might get some at
0: <laughs> Of course. All right. Last one here with Jeff Rader. Top three dream dinner party guests, dead or alive.
1: It's gonna sound like so sappy and sentimental, but I'd probably like try to get. Maybe I'll try. I'll cheat and get four. Like, it'd be cool to get like my grandparents together. Like, yeah. they're, they're they're not around anymore. It'd be awesome to hang with them. I mean, their minds would probably be blown by the state of the world in 2022. You get a lot of hugs and kisses, and they'd be like, "Jeff, look at you! You're you're great." Or like, "What is going on?" <laughs> um, but um, but yeah, that'd be pretty great. All right, well, that's a wrap. Thank you, Jeff, for uh,
0: joining us today and helping our listeners. Really appreciate it.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Supply Chain Therapy, a podcast brought to you by Stored. Make your supply chain a competitive advantage. Go to store.com to learn more.